Okay, cowboy, here's the odds. The time has come. Time for adventure. It's nail-biting time again. And this time, this time, this time with a vengeance. This time, it's personal. It couldn't possibly get any worse. Welcome back to Attack of the Third. I'm your host, Night Owl Joe. Uh, and I'm your co-host, Darn That Dave. And on this episode, we are covering uh, The Exorcist 3. And th this was Dave's pick. So I I'm really eager to hear his thoughts about this, especially considering neither of us have seen it before. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, I think so far, this is the first pick that's like a blind watch for both of us. Yes. Um, this is this is a movie that, because uh, I'm, you know, kind of, uh, right next to horror Twitter. Like right. I, I have a lot of friends in horror Twitter, but I don't mm. consider myself an expert in the genre. I've seen a fair amount of stuff, but like compared to those fucking freaks and weirdos, I have not <laughs> seen anything. Um, and it, the exorcist three was a movie that I was like, yeah, that can't be any good. Right. The exorcist three. Ha. Uh, and then, but I keep seeing it pop up as one of these like kind of underseen gems. So I was like, okay, right. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to put uh, what little respect I have out there uh, and uh, have us watch exorcist three. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm also sort of like horror Twitter adjacent and even with my friends groups uh, in person, especially when I lived on the East coast, like I, it was kind of weird. The the group of friends I ran in was like horror Twitter in person. Like I knew a guy who ran a video store and like the people that would orbit around him is like exactly the type of people you see on Twitter. There was no difference between their online persona Oof. and the reality. Well, I'm glad you moved. I'm glad you're <laughs> in a better place now. That's good. <laughs> I, I do kind of miss it. Um, it, it was, it was a lot of fun, but there was there's some people there, you know, it's just a bridge too far. Uh, so I'd heard about exorcist three, I, but I, I'd never seen it until now. So it's, it's been an experience. Yeah. And this is, uh, for me anyway, this movie has a lot to live up to, not only because a lot of people whose horror film opinions I respect right. really liked it. I mean, that's a piece of it, but also like the exorcist is maybe the greatest horror film ever made. Uh, like to me, it's like that and Halloween or kind of one A yeah. and one B. Yeah. Um, so like no pressure, right? Just one of the greatest films, regardless <laughs> of genre I've ever seen. Like this is the movie that like, I think the first movie I can remember hearing about, you know, having the, the reaction of people like screaming and like, you know, running away from the screen, supposedly throwing up uh, during the film. Like there's a big deal about the, the first exorcist movie when it first came out. Oh, yeah. So like, so it's got, it's got a lot to live up to. And um, I had never, and sometimes when a movie is that good, Halloween isn't in this category. Cause like Halloween really fits into <laughs> what has become, you know, the slasher subgenre. Right. So it kind of lends itself to repetition mm -hmm. and like, okay, we're just going to do this over and over again. Sometimes Michael Meiser is going to be there. Sometimes he's not, eh, we'll figure it out when we get there. <laughs> um, but the exorcist is one that is seen not only as a great horror movie, but just as a great movie, um, right. which, you know, the horror gets denigrated a lot, but the exorcist, I don't think is a movie that that gets uh, shunted into that, that trap. Right. Yeah. So when you have a movie that great and that well-respected by an amazing director, it has this amazing cast. 
you know, a lot of times sequels are really, really bad. Um, yeah. I think that's the interesting thing about a podcast like this. I think sometimes we're going to get good movies and sometimes we're going to get movies that are like, wow, that was garbage. Usually a movie that Joe picks. Uh, we, get, we get bad movies. So, I was, I, so that was also a piece of why I never picked this one up either. And so I was like, I don't know that I want to like sully my memory of The Exorcist. I really right. like that movie. Right. I don't know if I want to go go down this rabbit hole. Um, mm-hmm. So it's something that really kept me away. And I still have not seen The Exorcist 2. Um, I'm not watching that because I all those people that loved this movie said that movie was god awful. And if you look at the, you know, when Exorcist 2 first came out, as far as the critical opinion and the audience opinion, not great. Uh, so I decided to skip it. But I I know you didn't, right? Uh, no, I didn't. I I definitely wanted to have sort of a, a, a full mindset here of what it was like because I I also love the original movie, and I can imagine having loved that and then going to see Exorcist two and saying, "Wow, that was trash," <laughs> and then watching the third one. It, there's a certain mindset that you get from being disappointed in a sequel mm-hmm. and then going to the next one and hoping it's better. So I, I was fully prepared to actually really dislike the second one. Um, but there's there's an interesting approach I've had to watching sequels for many years now. I believe a sequel will dictate to its audience in the first mm, 10, 15 minutes whether or not you should really approach it with mental ties to its predecessor. Mm. You know, especially mm. if it's directed by a different person they're going to step right. in here and they're like, well, I can't do, you know, William Friedkin. I can only do me, you know, and I can only do the best exorcist movie that I can do. So my style is going to be different. Right. My approach is going to be different. So depending on whether the director is trying to emulate the style of his predecessor or just ready to do his own thing, that really depends on whether or not I approach it, how I approach it. I ended up really liking the mm. second one. As a John Borman movie, it, it, it his fingerprints are all over it in, in a very good way or, or a bad way, depending on, you know, <laughs> your 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 engagement with the movie. Having said that, I also really liked the third one, you know, okay. so it was it's interesting. I feel like uh, the odd duck out here. I don't really have a group <laughs> I neatly fit into here. Yeah. Um, so obviously didn't see the second one. Um and the one of the reasons I did not only is I heard it was bad, but I also heard like, you know, you can jump to Exorcist three oh, yeah. without like missing a beat. It's not that kind of episodic right. type of uh, type of movie franchise. So I was like, OK. And I was I was all prepared to be, you know, the person who's like, actually, you guys are wrong. This movie's a piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but like from, I don't know, first 10 minutes of this movie, I was all in. Like, I was just like, this is great. Yeah. George C. Scott uh, playing like a hard-boiled detective. Like, I oh, am yeah. in for this. And that honestly, the thing I think I like the most about it is the friendship between him and the priest. Oh, yeah. Like, that that's stuff is stuff, fantastic. And, and it has to because that's what yeah. carries this movie forward, right? There's mm-hmm. there's this scene very early on. I think it's like, I can't remember before after they've seen It's a Wonderful Life. I think maybe after, but they're talking and he's like the whole scene about him not being able to go home because of the carp like i i was dying laughing like in a good way like my wife's mother is visiting father and tuesday night she's cooking as a carp it's a tasty fish i i have nothing against it but because it's supposedly filled with impurities she buys it live 
And for three days, it's been swimming up and down in my bathtub. Up and down. And I hate it. I can't stand the sight of it. Moving its gills. Now, you're standing very close to me, Father. Have you noticed? Yes. I haven't had a bath for three days. I can't go home until the carp is asleep. <laughs> Because if I see it swimming, I'll kill it. <laughs> I think I read that George C. Scott's performance was like, you know, people didn't like it. Like it got into the What? golden raspberry, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I really liked it. And I really love their relationship. Yeah. Like their give and take, like they both, you could see these two men being friends for decades. Like for sure. after... After listening to them talk for like five minutes, you're like, oh, yeah, these two get each other. You know, there's no like lovey dovey stuff. There's no like you're my best friend. You're my pal. It's it's very just like that thing that guys do yeah. um, where you can tell if someone cares about you because we will treat you like garbage. Like that is <laughs> that is the mark of a real uh, masculine friendship is that we will, we will like mock each other oh. to their face. Oh, and I it, understand now, Dave. <laughs> yes. Um, and I find it interesting. The nicest things they say about one another are when they're talking about the other person to other people. Yeah. Like in the very beginning, they're like, ah, he always gets depressed this time of year. I got to spend time with him. And then George C. Scott says the exact same thing <laughs> yes. about him. And they're, they are, there for one another and that yeah. scene where he goes to visit him in the hospital where it's like he's genuinely worried about his buddy and i'm like man i am all in for this movie i think oh, the yeah. only thing that that kind of doesn't work for me i guess is that i i understand why it's there the dream sequence um where like fabio shows up and like i think patrick ewing is there <laughs> and like sam jackson and like one of his first movie role like yeah, it was so it much, wasn't it it was there's <laughs> There's so much going on. Like, I understand you kind of need that aspect of the movie, right. but it stood out. It looked like it's weird to say this about a dream sequence or a fantasy sequence, but it looked so false. Right. Like everything about it. I was just like, what is, what are we doing? Like this? No, this is ridiculous. And honestly, like if you take that scene out, like, do you lose much in this movie? I don't really feel like you do. I think the movie still holds together really well without it. Um, that that scene in itself is probably as or more outlandish than the entirety of Exorcist 2. So I was pretty taken aback because <laughs> in Exorcist 2, there's some pretty crazy shit, you know, like you're, you know, the, the priest in that movie is having visions about uh, the Pazuzu demon and uh, the things he's possessed. And then suddenly you're in Africa with James Earl Jones. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> and this one there's two times I laughed and I'm sure both were unintentional. The The second was absolutely the dream sequence, but the first one was in the first part of the movie when the statue of Christ opens its eyes. Yeah. Oh. That, that felt to me like we don't have the money to make this look like how we want to oh. like, Like I understood what they were going for. Like this stuff. So a little bit of like personal stuff, like this stuff really gets to me because uh -huh. I was raised Catholic. Right. Um, so, and I've, and I've left the church long ago, like since I, right. since I was a teenager, but as I watched this stuff, like somewhere deep in my lizard brain, it's this idea of like, Oh, what if I was wrong? Like what if, what oh, if yeah. this stuff is all really true? And you start like, your brain starts turning about that stuff. So, so like religious horror will kind of always get to me. So, uh -huh. 
that part didn't make me laugh. There's a couple shots where like you like you'll turn a corner and there's like a random statue with like a scary face and you're like, what are we, <laughs> what are we doing here? Like that stuff doesn't work at all. But you know what does work? What's we that? have to talk about we have to talk about the jump scare in this movie. Oh, um, absolutely. I, so this is the one thing I had heard about this movie is that it has the greatest jump scare in history. And somehow that does not do it justice. No, it doesn't. Um, holy shit, dude. Like, because there's, I love it because there's like a jump scare within a jump scare. Oh, absolutely. Right? All right. You're like following the nurse around and you're like waiting for this thing to happen. And it kind of does, right? This guy who was sleeping like pops yeah. up and scares yeah. you and you're like, okay, okay, you got me. Okay. Uh, you know, Blatty, you got me on this one. And then you kind of, and it gives you just enough time to relax before the killer appears with that giant cheering, you know, uh, tool. Right that you've been shown very cleverly early in the movie. And it is terrifying. Like that moment, like a lot of people like who've seen a lot of horror movies, myself included, you were hard to scare. Yeah. In a movie. Like I can watch a movie and be like, Oh, that was creepy. I liked that horror movie, but it's rare that a movie legitimately unnerves me or frightens me. But that was a moment where I was like, Holy shit. I was not prepared for that. Like it, it works like gangbusters. Like I, and as I researched this movie, I have no idea how this came together as well as it did, um, because there is so much behind the scenes drama and like stuff leading up to the making of this movie that didn't work out. Like originally he had written this, you know, right kind of right after The Exorcist and then uh-huh. it kind of fell through the cracks. So he wrote it as a book. Um, and originally um, Breedkin was attached to direct it. Then John Carpenter later was attached to direct it. Uh, and then, but it ends up like, ah, I guess I'll do it myself. And then right. he didn't, he didn't want it to be named the exorcist three because he didn't want an exorcism right. um, in this movie. So he called it Legion. But of course they have to find a way to make their money. So right. like, ah, we got to slap the exorcist name on it. We got to make whatever we lost from the exorcist too. So let's throw this on there and that's fine. But then like they made him film a, an exorcism sequence at the end, which as you watch it, you could tell it's like very out of place. Like right. it doesn't, it doesn't fit the movie. Like the movie is about a hard-boiled detective in this world of religious horror. And that yeah. is a really interesting way to go. But mm-hmm. instead we have this, you know, priest kind of like, you could tell it's just like thrown in there. Then he shows up and his skin gets flayed off and it's all very gross and fine. But you're like, yeah, this feels like this should end with a gunshot. And it, and it does, but you have to get through all this nonsense yeah. um, that Blatty clearly did not want in the movie. Oh, absolutely. And I definitely agree about that jump scare. It's interesting because I had seen, again, horror Twitter, I'd seen a GIF of that scene. Um, and it has no power as a GIF. You know, no. it has no power as a GIF. But, and, and I had sort of kind of forgot that it was in the movie, but I was also like, when it was approaching that scene, I was like, oh, this is that movie with that one scene. Okay, now I know what this is. <laughs> so I was I was waiting for it and not waiting for it. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but after I sort of put two and two together, I could, I, I sort of sensed that that scene was coming, and it's still like, jump scares don't get me, man. <laughs> that, I was just, I literally audibly said, holy shit! <laughs> You know, and I, I sat yeah. up a little straighter, like pulse quickened all that shit. It was so effective. And I and I think part of that is, is because you do see those shears early on. You know, they're very focused on. You're very aware that that's been the murder weapon. And then 
this comes almost out of nowhere because, you know, in, in that bit, she's walking away from the danger. You know, you don't really expect it to follow her. That's not how horror movies work. You right. know, usually you go in there, the camera, you know, pulls tight and there's always a cat. And then once the cat's gone, you go know, tension relieved <laughs> and then boom, you know, but this walking away from the danger and my eyes were so fixated on the cops in the background that yes. were like leaving. And then they were like coming back and leaving. And I was like, Oh man, you know, something's going to happen. I did not expect what happened. And it, it no. was such a great little moment of horror, but also uh, it's it was great because it's a movie that's not full of these types of scares. There's many other right. you know types of scares. They don't rely on the jump scare over and over and over. It's really just that scene, you right. know. Everything it's also, else. It's also not purely a horror movie. Like in right, a lot yeah. of ways, this is like a a cop procedural within mm-hmm. a horror world, which I think is another reason why that jump scare works so well. Is because most of this is just following Kinderman around and being right. like, okay, what's the next murder victim? What's on the wall? What? Mm-hmm. How do we? How is this connected to the quote unquote Gemini killer, which is very clearly a reference to Zodiac? <laughs> like, I guess like Zodiac, the Zodiac killer is a big fan of The Exorcist. Like he mentioned right. it. In his yeah. letters, so it's like this little ode. Um, but yeah, it's not, I mean, not to be that guy's like not a horror movie, like it is, but it's not just a horror movie. There's so right. many other genres tied into this mm-hmm. that that stuff works. Also, I love the fact that this uh this is clearly made by someone who loves movies. Oh, yeah. There's like there's like a hundred movie references in this, <laughs> like just just like sewn into this movie. And I'm like, this is great. Like I I just want to get inside Blatty's mind for this yeah. movie. Because you can tell like it is a way to not only continue this story, but to kind of like express his love of cinema as an art form. Cause this was even though it was a book, it was originally meant to just be a screenplay and to be, you know, directed by a great director. And yeah. like, he got his opportunity to do it himself, which is nice. Yeah. That's, that's very great. And there, there's certain scenes that are framed a certain way and it's very much a genre piece, you know, and you're mm. like, I've seen, I've seen this type of shot so many times, but it doesn't feel derivative. It feels uh, affectionate, you know, like, like, like you said, this guy clearly loves the genre he's working in. He mm-hmm. loves these types of movies and he puts a lot of that love in here and you can see it, you know, um, right. and, and it's very fascinating to me. The ties to the original movie are mm-hmm. here stylistically, aesthetically, and also thematically. And John, casting. Don't yeah, forget casting. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that was that was a surprise for me. That was yeah. that was pretty good. Um, whereas John Borman's movie had a very different like there were some aesthetic similarities, but like. In John Borman's movie, it was very much big picture. Like The Exorcist was the original was unique in a way that it approached the concept of demonic possession uh, with the context of modern medical science, uh, Mm -hmm. not having an answer for it, modern technology, modern thought, educated people having to rationally deal with this and all of that being stripped away piece by piece by piece until you have to turn to a priest. You know, you have to accept that this is demonic. It's not, you know, a mental disorder or any of that. The second movie really runs with that very much so in a maximalist sense. And so I was like, okay, cool. And then the third movie, I didn't read the synopsis or anything. And it definitely went a totally different direction, but also still shared a lot of connective tissue with the original. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. They're not doing that. 
but it's still that atmosphere. It was like mm-hmm. a different corner of the same, and I hesitate to use this word, universe. <laughs> uh, mm. But yeah, and it was it was very cool. And I like the fact that it doesn't dismiss its predecessor out of hand because it doesn't doesn't need to. It's a completely separate story, you know. Uh, whereas both movies are tied to the original. Two and three don't cancel each other out. They're just you know different stories that happen to be set around you know the same. Um, the same tragedy, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you bringing up that, like, that idea of going beyond technology, beyond science, uh, mm-hmm. is very prevalent here. I mean, it's set, most yeah. of it is set in a hospital. Very much um, so. And is dealing with either people who are incapacitated or people who don't have identities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we start to think of them as just like, oh, well, they're just fucking crazy. Uh, we can't help them. Yeah. Um, and, and I like the fact that you have a scene, you know, with with the demon basically saying like, yeah, these are the exact kind of people that are easiest to to be a part of. Right. right. To take over because uh, yeah. no one cares about them because their brain is not as active as it was. So it's like a really interesting way to to look at this and i you know the the scene where this you know this old woman becomes the demon and uh-huh. attacks attacks his family in his home is also legitimately scary because uh, there's there's nothing scarier than someone who shouldn't be strong that is oh, yeah. um, this like frail old woman who is like throwing you know jersey scott's like six foot three like <laughs> 260 like he's a big dude he's shaped like yeah. a refrigerator like there's no way that she should be able to move this guy around and the fact that she does really works and the scene where you know it almost kills i think it's his daughter in that moment is legitimately scary like i was not sure how that was going to end because this movie does a really interesting thing where in some moments it gets really gory and in some moments it pulls back yeah so in that moment i wasn't sure which was going to happen like is she going to be saved at the literal last second which is what happens thankfully or is like this poor girl gonna have her head cut off in front of us like it's it's a lot and i i found it really interesting that the the one death that they really don't show in any type of detail and gore is the death of his friend this priest all you have is kinderman's reaction Mm-hmm. Like he lifts up the the sheet after he's been covered and you see how horrific it is through his eyes. Yeah. You don't see the actual blood and the gore and all that stuff. You just see his reaction and what, and what that means to him. And I, you know, I could see why people, it, this could be a difficult <clears throat> performance to, to love in Jersey Scott. I do. I think it's wonderful, yeah. um, but it's extreme. Um, there are a lot of moments where he winces and he yells a lot, uh, in this Uh movie, like the secrets where he finally tells the guy in the hospital to just shut the fuck up, which was like, thank God, because I cannot (laughs) listen to this man yell anymore. But you know, that, that monologue about who the Gemini killer was, and that's, it's kind of an old tired thing. Now, the idea of, you know, uh, police department, not telling everybody how someone actually died. So then when the crazies call, you could be like, oh, they they're just seeing what's in the newspaper, but right. that's not them. Uh, but for the time, like that's kind of a new thing. And his yeah. his delivery of that of that sequence of lines is really impressive. Like you, it is. I mean, he really holds that space. You get how disturbed he is by this and mm-hmm. you get that he has lived through it. Like it is the performance is a lot, but the movie is a lot. I feel like. I feel like Scott knows exactly the type of movie he's in, which is a gift that not every actor has. Oh yeah. I absolutely agree. 
And I wanted I wanted to talk about that scene where you mentioned that they don't really show the priest's death uh, pretty much at all. And it, it reminded me now now that you frame it that way, it reminds me of a uh, in in the movie Taxi Driver. Uh, mm. There's you know I, I I saw someone point out the comparison between the the two. The two, one scene of emotional sort of uh, violence and one scene of like physical violence at the end of the movie, every time Travis shoots somebody, it's framed in like graphic up close detail, you know, uh, higher frame count, like everything. But mm-hmm. you know, earlier in the movie where he calls uh, he calls the, the lady he's interested in and she sort of shuts him down over the phone, the camera pans away. And mm-hmm. they were saying, you know, like for 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 it was too painful to see Travis in that moment. You know, that, that was the authentic pain that the audience could relate to and see. And we had to look away. So the camera doesn't show us Travis, Travis's reaction to that rejection, but yet Mm. later in the movie, they'll show all that other violence because it's framed in a certain way. You know, same thing here. I think it would have been a little tasteless and a little over the top in the wrong direction to show the priest's death in graphic detail, especially since they built up that friendship so well and so authentically that to show that it would have been uncomfortable in in a movie full of horror and, you know, psychological stuff, it would have been the wrong kind of uncomfortable. And I think it it was very skillful that they chose not Mm -hmm. to show that. Oh yeah. I totally agree. Um, It's a, it, I think every movie has at least one of these moments and most movies have more than one where there's like a choice point where it's like yeah. you are with the movie. And if they make a choice, you, you can get off that train really quick. Oh, yeah. And I could, and I was like aware of it as I was watching this movie. I was like, don't you dare. Yeah. Don't do not show the mutilated body of this nice old man, or I am going to check out of this movie. Cause I'm like, yep. Nope, I can't Nope. And they didn't. And like, it's a very interesting, I think it's a totally different movie if they zoom in on like, you know, what's been done to his eyes and the decapitation and, you know, all that stuff. Um, I think, I think I totally sign out of the movie and I'm like, yeah. nah, I'm not, I, I don't need this in my life. So that choice to just let, to just trust your actor. Yeah. I mean, you guys, George, George C. Scott is a great actor. Like just let him. him. Yeah. yeah. And he does. And it's just, it's phenomenal. Um, and yet I don't think it's the best performance in the movie. Um, it's really good, but Brad Dereef, uh, oh. is, I, he's, he's incredible. I, and it's one of those, I had, I had posted on Twitter that I was watching this and I was like, I hope this is good. I hope you guys didn't steer me wrong. And somebody wrote like, you know, name a bad movie that Brad Dereef has been in. And I maintain that he has been in bad movies, right. but he has never been bad himself. Um, right. He was in Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which I think is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. So at least the worst, like, big release movies I've ever seen. There there are many, you know, micro-budget movies that you're like, okay, I don't expect as much out of this. Uh, But I cannot stand Halloween 2. I think it's pompous and stupid. Um, And he's in that, but he's very good in that. But I was like, yeah, that's actually a good point. Like, it's hard to – it's hard for me to dislike a movie – that Brad DeReef is in. Like, oh, if you absolutely. look at it, look at his career, man, it's pretty fucking impressive. And I think the thing that hampers him as far as like 
what people think of him is he like kind of blends into his role so well <laughs> that yeah. you're like like when you when his name is mentioned like you're like oh brad durif and then you're like okay was uh and you have to kind of think about it like yeah he's a, you know the voice of chucky yeah um he was in the lord of the rings movies um his big break was one oh, flew over shit, the yeah. was one flew over the cuckoo's nest um but like in between there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that when you see it listed you're like oh yeah yeah but it doesn't come to your mind right away i mean even in TV roles, like when he was in Deadwood, uh, uh-huh. maybe the best part of that wonderful television show. Um, he's always, always, always good, and he's asked to do a lot here. Yeah. Um, oh, every yeah. like every sequence he's in is a long sequence, and it jumps back and forth between you know the character of the killer and a demon and an angelic voice. Like there's so much going on in those sequences, uh-huh. and. It's so interesting because George C. Scott does almost nothing in that sequence. Yeah. Like he he asks like three questions in like a five minute scene. Yeah. The rest is just all Brett like going off. And you can tell he's having a great time. Uh, like, you know, this is one of those like you can go ahead and chew every bit of scenery that is near you because that is what this role actually demands. And he is so good at it. Oh, yeah. And I absolutely agree. And I, I love him. The moment he showed up in the movie, because like I knew he was going to be there beforehand because I was actually looking at the comments on the post that you made. Mm. But like afterwards, like the you get so deep into the movie at that point, you, you kind of forget. Like you get lost in the movie. It's that good. And I forgot he was going to be in the movie. So when he showed up, like the biggest fucking smile just crossed <laughs> my face. I was like, fuck, yes. This is perfect, perfect casting. Yep. You know? And... I love this guy ever since I saw him in Star Trek Voyager. That was my first exposure it to was. him. You fucking nerd. Of course, he, of course it, it is. <laughs> well, I, I was a kid. I was, I was too young for stuff like child's play or, or sure. most of the, the movies he's in, but you know, my whole family just Trekkies to the core. So uh, <laughs> fucking nerding out. And you know, he has that cadence whenever he talks and it's so uncomfortable. And uh-huh. even as a kid, in something as relatively sanitized as, you know, a Star Trek TV show, he gave me chills. Like, I knew, uh-huh. like, this guy was capable of some scary shit. Uh-huh. And it, it, it's kind of funny to me that this is, this. Uh, I, you know, he kind of gets typecast, but it's it's not, it's almost never a bad thing for him. Because he's right. always the highlight of whatever he's in, you know? Yes. He like ran circles around the fucking cast in Star Trek, you know, yeah. like even people who I, I can imagine don't give a crap about sci-fi could watch that. And, you know, it even that's kind of his episodes are kind of a procedural where he plays a killer with no motive. He just killed yep. a guy yep. and, you know, that they're trying to investigate and he just has no motive. And, you know, I couldn't help but like compare and contrast between that and this. And in this one, he's just cut loose, you know, in <laughs> ironically, you know, he's restrained the entire time. But, oh, my God, the entire time he was on screen, I just like nothing else existed in my peripheral, you know, just glued to the screen. Fantastic right. performance. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that keeps coming to mind is I am amazed at how well directed this movie was. Oh, yeah. Um because, you know, Blatty, he's directed two movies in his entire career. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the ninth configuration and this, 10 years apart. Um, and, you know, you're taking over, like, at least in my mind, you're taking over from Friedkin. 
right? right. Yeah, so yeah. That, that is that's a tough it's a tough thing to do. And you said no to John Carpenter, um, one of the greatest genre directors who's ever lived. Absolutely. Um, and there's one moment that really stood out to me where I was like, wow, this is so smart. So this is a movie that, of course, you know, given that it's an exorcist movie and you can have the devil, essentially the demon jump from one body to another, uh-huh. no one is safe. Right. right so, you know, right. you don't know who's next. And there's a sequence with the the old lady who's like kind of walking very slowly and shuffling. And mm-hmm. you're meant to think, okay, that, that woman, something's not right with her. That's going to come up later. So you have that in your head. And then there's a scene later in the movie with his daughter in his house, mm-hmm. shuffling to the fridge and then grabbing food out of there very unnaturally, right? Just like, yeah. you know, darting her hand in and grabbing it. And then slow, doesn't say a word, closes the door, shuffles over to her father. And as, as a viewer, I'm like, oh no. But, like he's going to have to, he's going to have to defend himself from his own daughter. This is so terrible. And then it's just a totally normal scene, right? Uh-huh. They just like talk and she goes to bed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you, you got me. You got me so good. Because as a horror fan, like you're already on your toes. Yeah. For a moment like that, like you're ready for things to go sideways. Um, even that jump scare when she's like walking into that, you know, that room where the guy's sleeping, you're waiting for something to happen. And it's the yeah. same thing here. And nothing ever does. The The demon never takes over her body throughout the entire movie is just a little moment that is showing you the mindset that you are in as a viewer, that right. you are on edge and, you know, you have to you have to kind of take a second thought about all these things that you're seeing. Like, is this my brain? Is this my brain on horror movies? Or is this really <laughs> happening yeah. in this movie? And it, so it makes you second guess everything going forward. Oh, yeah. and, and it's a it's a scene that like when people say like, oh, you could throw out that scene, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> I get annoyed with stuff like that because a scene like that, it like plot wise, no, it makes no difference at all. None. But like mood wise and expectations wise for the rest of the film, it completely changes the movie you're watching. It oh, might yeah. be like like there's a lot of stuff I like about this movie. That might be my favorite scene. Uh, this tiny little thing that like you could you could throw away if you're not paying attention. But it really like it, it turns it kind of turns the camera around and is like. Uh, you think you know what's up and you have no idea. And I love yeah. when directors do that. And usually when a director does that, if it's done well, it's usually by a very seasoned director, Definitely. someone who, you know, has been behind the camera for a lot of movies. I, I mean, I think it, it helps that, you know, Blatty was around for when The Exorcist came out and he saw a master at work. He clearly was paying attention um, to what these other these other directors were doing. Yeah. But I looking back on that, like I'm so wowed by that moment. Like it, it's pretty gutsy, actually, because that's a scene that the studio would be like, do you really need that? Can we just get rid of that? So that feels like a moment that you had to like really fight for. And I think Uh it changes the entire movie. Oh, I I definitely agree. I remember when I was watching that scene, um, I, I, I didn't part at first, like my brain didn't parse that it was the daughter. I I thought, wait, Mm. okay. Are we, are we in that lady's house? Are we, are we in somebody else's house? And it's like, no, I was like, Oh shit, it's the daughter. And then, you know, that seems like, you know, it's still, there's an eerie lingering, and you're unsettled because you're not sure where it's going to go now. You know, it just, it goes It like that scene, it's purpose shows you that, you know, the director is like the, the filmmakers, they are behind that uh, unease, that sense of dread. It's absolutely intentional. You know, it's not just incidental because you're watching a horror movie. They are crafting this scene by scene, that sense of dread, 
you know, so it's the demons fucking with people and the filmmakers are kind of fucking with you too, to keep yep. you off balance, to keep you, you know, apprehensive, ready for anything, even though you never are when it happens. And, yep. you know, like you said, in lesser hands, that scene would have come off as, you know, gimmicky or, you know, kind of like an anti jump scare. Um, and another scene that I think could have uh, gone that same way in, in, in a negative fashion is the scene with uh, the possessed nurse in his house. You know, you said there's nothing scarier than somebody who shouldn't be strong being strong. By that same token, in the wrong hands, there's nothing funnier oh, yeah. than somebody who shouldn't mm-hmm. be strong being strong. And that moment, I was fully prepared. I was sort of bracing subconsciously for it to look ridiculous, for it to, to, to come across as one of those things that is supposed to be scary, but ends up you know, kind of looking absurd. No, like that moment, even when like they pull the daughter away, I was like dying for the camera to pan back to her to make sure she was all right. It's yeah. such a fucking close edit and like masterfully. So, and there's never a moment in that sequence, at least for me, where I was anything other than tense, you yeah. know, and there's never a moment where it looks silly because it's edited and shot so well. You know, it's mm-hmm. never some outlandish thing where she like throws a table through a wall and is like right. waving him through the air. It was just enough. And like you said, I'm very wowed because even even better directors have tried similar things. And, you know, I don't know about better directors, but directors that people consider to be great have tried similar things and it doesn't quite land. And right. here, like you said, only two movies. He gleaned that much from freaking uh, and and maybe, you know, own personal intuition that he's able to make scenes like that and scenes like the one with the daughter completely land. That was very impressive to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I also I keep thinking about the reactions to this movie, which are so funny to me. Like, <laughs> so, you know, I like this movie a lot, but let me read you like a little snippet uh, sure. that makes that makes me like. <laughs> If I had heard about, if I had read this before, I'd be like, man, fuck this movie. Shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So New York Times reviewer Vincent Canby was quoted as, as writing, The Exorcist 3 is a better and uh, intentionally funnier movie than either of its predecessors. It's like, okay, it's not a better movie than The Exorcist. Shut right, up. Right. Like, just calm down. <laughs> but, but the one I like, there's a writer for people <laughs> named Ralph Novak who said, as a movie writer and director, William Peter Blatty is like David Lynch's good twin. He is eccentric, original, <laughs> funny, and daring, but he also has a sense of taste uh, pace and restraint, which is my way of saying that this is one of the shrewdest, wittiest, most intense and most satisfying horror movies ever made. And it, it was really interesting to read that because like you could see a Lynch version of this movie that makes no sense. Right. Uh, I love David Lynch, but a lot of his movies, you're like, OK, I got to read a lot into this. I got to figure it out. This is not that kind of movie. Right. But there are some like, you know, I hesitate to use this descriptor, but Lynchian moments in this movie um, <laughs> that are that are funny and and well done. Um, so I really right. like that that comparison. Yeah, uh, it's, it's certainly not saying. Hopefully, I hope I don't think this writer is saying that that Blatty is anywhere near as good as David Lynch. David Lynch is one of our greatest living directors. He's phenomenal. Uh, I don't 
think he's made a bad movie. Um, I think I've seen all of his movies at this point, and they're all different levels of good to great. Yeah. Um, Ed Blatty's made two movies, <laughs> so let's let's not get crazy. Uh, yeah. But I, I always like cringe when people are like, "Oh, it's scarier and better than The Exorcist." I'm like, uh, "You just just you know. stop! Don't don't put that in people's heads because yeah. it already it already has the name." Right. People are already going to be judging it harshly based on the name. Just like anytime a Halloween movie comes out, there's going to be the like, it was scarier than the original 1978 or like, uh, it's not, it's okay, but it's not better than this and blah, blah, blah. There's always that built in comparison. So when you come out with press clipping quotes like this, where you're just like clearly just like, creaming yourself to get on the poster, <laughs> like that is clearly what's <laughs> happening here right anybody like from an objective perspective like if you this is your favorite exorcist movie fine totally fine with that it's a lot yeah. of fun it's yeah. a lot less work than the original movie but come on like the first exorcist is a classic of the of the genre and a classic regardless of genre it's a better movie than this but this is so much better than i thought it was going to be like yeah. going in i was like uh maybe it's because horror twitter can be like this is oh it's really fun and it's bad but it's fun uh and yeah. i was kind of expecting that here and that's not what i got i got like a really good procedural slash horror slash religious horror movie yes yeah. and i didn't know that's something i wanted um but i did and i watched this tonight a great time yeah absolutely and i agree and I've seen other movies that try to be, you know, procedural religious horror movies. And, you know, there's some that I have a soft spot for, and I love them regardless, like the Denzel Washington movie, Fallen, um, with, a, you know, another, you know, uh, body-hopping demon. Uh, but that movie, you know, it's it's nostalgic for me. And there's right. others I've seen, newer ones, like uh, there was one with Eric Bana, I think it was called Deliver Us From Evil or something like that. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, nah. Um, so I, I'd seen other movies that try to pair the police procedural with, you know, demonic possession or, or you know, supernatural themes. You know, it's very hit or miss. And this one was absolutely yeah. a hit. I feel like this is kind of the like the standard, the bar now, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking uh, in terms of subgenres of horror, I don't think there's another subgenre with higher highs or lower lows yeah. than than religious horror. Like, <laughs> man, there are there are a lot of really bad like awful yeah. exorcist movies yeah. um, because they know like it's honestly it's pretty easy to make money on religious horror like you don't you don't need huge special effects you need minor special effects and you just need an innocent in a bad situation and someone throwing holy water and then the demon screaming and you're kind of good to go yeah. uh, but you know a lot of them are really really bad and then every once in a while you get something great you get yeah. someone who really taps into something um, and like honestly this is um this is pretty high on my list of of that subgenre. Like, this is really good. Again, yeah. not as good as The Exorcist, but certainly better than something like you know The Fallen. Like, this yeah. is you know that that movie. <laughs> I I have fond memories of that, but I'm sure if I watched it again, it would absolutely not hold up. Um, <laughs> but this is one that I kind of I, I know Scream Factory put out a director's cut uh, Blu-ray within the last you know five years, and I kind of want to find that, pick it up. Because yeah, it's, it's a movie I kind of want to revisit. Yeah. And I did not expect to have that reaction to this. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think it's interesting that all three Exorcist movies, um, I, I, well, you know, I'll, I'll sort of limit it to the first and the third at this point. They're they're different, but they're also accomplished in their own respective ways. And you mentioned just a second ago that, you know, it's not as good as The Exorcist. 
most movies aren't as good right, as The Exorcist. Right, right. You know, most fucking movies. Ninety nine percent. 99% of movies are not as good as The Exorcist. It, that is not a shot at this movie. Yeah. This is still a really good movie. It's it's fantastic. And, you know, given that I grew up uh, as well as you in a, in a religious background, um, when I finally saw The Exorcist, it didn't it did not unnerve me in the way that it had unnerved so many other people. Because I got into the horror genre very late in life, uh, as opposed to most of, you know, our, you know, uh, our uh, acquaintances online, uh, our friend group. And I, I didn't really get into horror movies until I was like 14, maybe 15. And at that point, I had already seen things like Alien and Hellraiser and, and Halloween and, yeah, you know, A Nightmare on Elm Street. So, like, a lot of these elements, traditional elements in horror movies they didn't scare me so much as they fascinated me. And that's where mm-hmm. the exorcist was for me, even though it didn't like give me nightmares or, you know, make me nauseous. I, I could still tell that I was watching a masterful movie, a movie that was fantastic, whether or not it scared you because it was mm-hmm. so well-made and so thought provoking, you know, and that it, it maintained that for as long as it has, you know, uh, for so many decades. And, to compare the Exorcist three to it, the fact that you can even hold them in the same conversation and both are spoken of in a positive fashion, that really does go to show you just how good the Exorcist three is. You know, right. yeah, yeah, I totally agree, and it's so nice to have a a happy surprise when you watch a when you watch a movie. You know, basically blind. Like all I knew about it was the uh-huh. jump scare and the name, and I was like, I didn't even know George C. Scott was in it. Like I just like yeah. turned it on. And I was like, Hey, hey, it's that guy. It's, hey. it's, a, it's Scrooge. Like yeah. that's the first thing I think of when I think of George C. Scott. So this was just kind of a pleasure um, and nice to have a movie that I don't think either one of us had big expectations of, but still kind of led to a good experience. Yeah. I think it was. I think it was great, and um, like you said, I'd be happy to pick up that director's cut, give it another shot, revisit it at some point. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, what are we? What are we moving towards? Like, what's? Uh, how are you going to live up to the amazing choices that I have given you so far? I'm like, I have a perfect score so far. I, I, I'm pulling out. Uh, I'm pulling out the ace up my sleeve, Dave. We're okay. Gonna watch, we're gonna watch Die Hard with a Vengeance next oh, time. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. God, I wish I hated that movie so I could like come hard. But uh, but I think it'd be interesting to like rewatch it and talk about it because it's been a while since yeah. I've seen it. So. All right. Next time. 